somebody might be saying, I'm, I'm waiting for an opportunity to fall on my lap. And I have a kind of a, a comeback to that. Opportunities don't fall in your lap. They pass by your line of vision. Mm. And if you recognize them and you grab them, you can do something with them. If you don't recognize them, they keep on going, yeah. right? They just fly right out of your line of sight and they move on to somebody else that knows what they're looking for and grabs mm -hmm. it. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. Brian Tibbs, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Yeah, how many times have you been to Maui now in the last few years? Um, few times, right? Well, Brandon has brought me three times, <laughs> and, true. and I was at Kona one other time before that. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. I'm glad to have you here, man. So I know you as a real estate investor. Obviously, mm -hmm. you're in some open door capital stuff, but mm -hmm. you're also an active real estate investor yourself. But right. I also knew you were a former missionary. Yep. I knew you lived on the Amazon River. I want to hear about that yep. at some point. And I know you are an author. You got a new book. It's called The Hacker Method from Mr. Brian Tibbs. I'm super excited mm -hmm. to talk about that today. So that's who you are today, but take us back before all that. Who was Mr. Brian Tibbs? Well, when I was a teenager, I overheard my father and my grandfather talking about buying a duplex. Mm. And I thought that they were insane. I was 17 <laughs> years old or maybe 16 years old, totally self-absorbed, right? Like no other teenager ever has. Yeah, been, no, no, right? they're all, they're all good. And, and I heard them talking <laughs> about this and I, you know, I was just kind of sitting on the floor and I was trying to make sure that they didn't know I was listening. Mm. And I just thought they were crazy. They were talking about clogged toilets and they were talking mm. about renters not paying their rent and talking about a mortgage payment and $10,000 in repairs and all this stuff. Mm. And I just thought, why in the world would you do something like that? So I finally, I finally kind of like snapped out of the, just the listening mode. And I said, listen, you guys are making a terrible mistake. Why would you do this? And for like an hour, they tried to explain to me and I could kind of see in their eyes that, okay, now we've got a new challenge. We've got this teenager that hasn't engaged with the family all weekend. <laughs> and, and now we're going to teach him a life lesson. And, and that was the first time I remember ever hearing about real estate or, or anything like that. And after probably an hour or maybe even two, they kindly won me over. And so at the age of 16 or 17 or whatever, that was when I decided that I wanted to be a real estate investor. Wow. I, then I went to college, majored in business, bought my first duplex when I was 19 years old. How'd you buy that? Well, I bought it from the builder. It was 1996. So there was the liar loans at that time, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, just write whatever you want. So I, I actually worked for my dad. And so he just paid me a little bit more money for a couple of months. And then I went shopping for a house and, mm -hmm. and I was able to buy it. So, uh, but I bought it for 3% down or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was like 2,500 bucks out of my pocket. And then I got a duplex. Then the next year I decided, okay, I'm going to buy at least one unit a year forever was my, was yeah. my plan. Right. So the next year I bought another duplex. And then I, the next year after that, I bought another duplex. And then the year after that, I bought a fourplex. So by the time I was 23 or four, I had 10 units and I was That's dating amazing. this lovely young lady named Jill Bramhall. And during that time, I met her at church, and during that time, I, I started to feel like God was calling me to do something different mm -hmm. than business. And, you know, all the way back to when I was 17, I'm a businessman, and everybody knows me to be that, and everybody knows that I'm going to be investing in real estate and all that kind of stuff. And I started to feel this, like, this nagging tug that God wanted me to be a missionary. And I was like, that's insane. And I remember even saying once, 
that would be the worst misallocation of resources <laughs> ever. <laughs> right? Like who would say something like that, right? Well, I finally came to the conclusion that that was what I was supposed to do. And and I remember Jill and I went out on a on a date. It was after church and I was really quiet and she thought I was upset with her. And what was really going on in my mind is I thought this relationship's going to end. I'm going to lose my business cuz I don't know if I'm going to go to study somewhere or move to some country and start speaking like <laughs> some language like that, right? And, <laughs> and that's exactly what it sounds like. It's exactly what I said is welcome to yeah. Maui. Yeah, thank right you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so anyway, I, I finally broke down and told her and I said, listen, I think that God's calling me to be a missionary. And so I don't know what that means. And so I don't know if I'm going to move somewhere or whatever. I was like, okay, this is it. And she said, well, that's funny. I've always had that calling as well. Really? So instead of breaking up, we ended up getting married just oh, a few wow. months later. A year after we got married, we moved to Guatemala without ever having been to Guatemala. So we took, I had two suitcases, Jill had two suitcases and away we went. Wow. Why Guatemala? We were working with a church and that's a place that they had an assignment for volunteers that had no experience mm -hmm. and no training and no, you know, so we just went there and we just were volunteers for a year. Did you have to fundraise for that year or did you use your own income off of the duplexes? Yeah, and we just sold some of the real estate and you know, I was just trying to be obedient and so uh -huh. sold some of the real estate and we just basically lived off that. So we didn't raise any money and didn't get any pay and mm -hmm. lived real cheap. And how do you, I want to go back just a second. Yeah. How do you feel like you hear the voice or maybe you could call it the, the direction of the calling from God? Like how does that manifest itself in your, in, in your life? That's a very good question. And I'm always careful to say that it's not like I hear a voice in the clouds every yeah, day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. At that time, I, I just really was hearing something. I attribute it to God. And I really struggle when people say, God told me this, yeah, me God too. told me that because the conversation's over, right? Like, what are you going to say? Yep. And so I just, uh, the way I can say it is I just really had a strong conviction yeah. that yeah. that was what I was supposed to do. And I couldn't shake it. Like I couldn't excuse it away. I couldn't get rid of it. And so I finally was like, well, okay, I know the right thing to do. And so this is what we're going to do. That's great. Yeah. I have the same problem when like, I never want to say like God told me because I don't, yeah, he doesn't, I don't hear voices right. in my head. Right. Um, right. It's maybe a strong conviction, but then I've also been strongly convicted to go eat ice cream because it's in the <laughs> fridge and I'm like, but it's a different yeah, conviction, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, so I want to be, and I think people often confuse. Yeah. Yeah. Desire for the voice of God. Yeah. Like, oh, God told me to like, I never like to say God told me to move to Maui. Right. Like what first world, like pretentious. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. That said, when I tried to move to Denver years ago, we tried very hard to move to Denver and it was like every door was shut. Yeah. Every single door. And including I went to this like conference and the person speaking was like, listen, to everyone out there, there's a thousand people in the room. Like, God has you exactly where he wants you. Mm -hmm. He's saying, do not go. Yeah. And it was like that was like the final nail in the coffin. I was like, mm -hmm. all right. Like I know it wasn't maybe it wasn't to me, but it sure was more confirmation on this like door shutting continually. Then two years later, I had the idea, like, what if I moved to Maui mm -hmm. or, you know, Hawaii, it was Hawaii in general. And then every door just opened one after another, after right, another, right, another. Right. So did God, did God tell me to move to Maui? No. Right. But I do believe did I wanted to move to Maui mm -hmm. and God's like, okay, let's yeah. make that work. But yeah, he knew yeah. Denver was not going to be good for me because mm. yeah. I would have run across cam. Probably yeah. It was there. Yeah. It would not downhill. be around. It would right not now. be around. So like for whatever reason, like, yeah, he got me, he allowed me to come here. I don't, again, yeah. So it's, it's a hard thing. I've, I, I, yeah, it drives me nuts when people are like, God told me yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, did he? Yeah. Especially when it really serves them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. this was not serving. Correct. To, yeah. This is, this yeah. is a, a negative move yeah. in life, yeah. which is probably more likely it's God. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Right. Which sounds weird, <laughs> yeah. but like, 
Yeah, it's a good way to distinguish maybe. Can you talk me through, and this is just, this is something I'm always interested in. So you're 23, 24 at this time? Uh, well, when we got married when I was 27 okay. and then moved when we were 28. Okay, so yeah. at this time you've been building your real estate business for yeah. a while. Yeah. And I, I just want to know the internal battle that you had with God where, you know, oh, it's like, God, I'm doing amazing things for the kingdom. Like, I, you know, you talk about like the parable of the talents where right. it's like, hey, right. I'm, I am multiplying things. I'm crushing it. Like right. you, you, I'm in that my zone. That was the zone. misallocation of resources conversation <laughs> yeah. right yeah. there. Yeah. Like I am in my zone right now. <laughs> like I just want to hear the internal battle that you struggled with or maybe you didn't struggle with it. I know I would. Oh, I definitely um, struggled. What was that like? It was, yeah, it was about a year. Mm -hmm. uh, from when I first started to feel like this is what I was supposed to do to when I finally said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Right. Mm -hmm. And the whole battle was, I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to lose my real estate. I'm going to lose my girlfriend. I'm going to lose everything I know. I'm going to lose my culture. I'm going to lose everything. Right. So it wasn't a comfortable thing, but when I finally did accept, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. It was almost like, it was almost comical. It was a Sunday and I was at church and I just finally, I was like, okay, fine. You know, like it's fine. Okay. I'll do it. And I left the church and I went outside and I just stretched out my arms like a sacrificial Christ or something, right? Mm -hmm. Fine, you can have it. I'll do it. And when I finally said that, I, I felt a peace that I've never felt before. Mm -hmm. Like I've finally given in or I finally given it all, right? Like yeah. literally given it all. And I just felt a peace that that was what I was supposed to do. And so then from then until we finished our work in 2021. I didn't, didn't look back. Oh, wow. So how long were you there? How 16 you, years. Wow. All in Guatemala or where'd you go? No, we were only in Guatemala for a year. Okay. And then after that, we actually started our own organization and we moved to Argentina. So the name of the organization was Ardeo Global. And our chore was to seek, train, and send missionaries. We sent 360 missionaries to 11 different countries, wow. planting 96 churches and doing all sorts of other stuff too, humanitarian aid and, and mm -hmm. community development and marriage counseling and, you know, all that stuff, yeah. uh, taking care of orphans and all that kind of stuff. So we did a lot of stuff in those 16 years. So Wow. What was going on with the real estate during that time? Were you still buying anything in the so States? Or? I ended up actually selling six of my 10 units okay. uh, when we left. And that was in 2005, uh, 2005 and 2006. So great time to sell. Yeah. Uh, and then after the market crashed, we decided, okay, well, let's get back in. So mm -hmm. we were sitting on some cash. And so we, we started going back in very slowly. And because... Mm -hmm. My 100% focus was on the mission and we would come back to the U.S. for six mm -hmm. weeks a year or two months a year or whatever. And when we'd come back, I'd kind of take a glance at it, sell something, buy something, upgrade, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and just slowly built up to back up to 17 units by the time we finished mm -hmm. our mission work in 2021. Yeah. And so for those 16 years, were you living off of kind of your cash flow from those rentals or did you, did you start having to fundraise? Yeah. So we, yeah, we fundraised our salary uh -huh. after that first volunteer year. Okay. Well, and when we started our deal, I, I didn't take any income. I treated it like a business. You know, yeah, when yeah. you first start a business, you don't get paid, you pay. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I treated the, the nonprofit. But then, yeah, we started to fundraise our own salary. And yeah. Gotcha. And so that was kind of, that's kind of the, the thing that I, that I like to teach people is that we, we lived for, for the 16 years that we were overseas. Mm -hmm. If you take the total amount of money we received as a, as a W-2 income and divide it into the hours that Jill and I worked in the mission, we made $9 and 20 cents an hour, wow. <laughs> right? Yeah. And we yeah. still were able to build a multi-million dollar net worth over that time period with very limited focus on the real estate side, right? So no, we didn't spend any of our cash flow. We just piled it all back in and just multiplied it. So this will be a very broad question. I know we can dig into it when we talk about the hacker method. How does someone with limited income build a real estate empire like you did? You have to live on less than you make. Mm -hmm. a lot less than you make. So I have a chapter, I have two sections in the book called the 50-40-10 budget. 
And what I encourage people to do is hack your lifestyle. That's the first step. The second step is live on 50% of your income, mm-hmm. invest 40% and give 10% away to make the world a better place. Yeah. Change the world through your generosity is the 10%, right? And so if you can, even if you're making minimum wage, mm-hmm. like I did, invest 40% of your take-home pay mm-hmm. and you know do the other hacks, you know side hustles and all that other stuff to get your income up as high as you can, you can build a multi-million dollar net worth in 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. You can. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So the first H, that's hack your life. Is that hack your that? lifestyle. Well, hack your lifestyle. What does that mean? So that is all the different ways that you can figure out how to increase your income and decrease your living expenses. And I've heard you even say a couple of times that the best way for somebody to get started is a house hack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mortgage is killer. Yeah, it's the biggest expense people 30, have. 40, 50% of people's take-home pay. Yeah. If you can house hack and get that taken care of, there's your investing money right there. Mm-hmm. For those who have never heard that term, house hacking, what does that mean? So house hacking is essentially just taking your primary residence and converting it into an income generator somehow. You can do that all the way from renting out a bay in your garage to part parceling off or, or partitioning off a part of your house and putting a tenant in there. Mm-hmm to, I mean, a glamping pod in your backyard if you have the right property, right? Yeah. There's people that are renting out their swimming pools, yeah. right? For 50 <laughs> bucks an hour, you can rent out your swimming pool for a kid's party or something, right? Mm-hmm. So just generating income from your house. <clears throat> what allowed my wife and I to buy our first house is we rented a house in Denver and we were paying 1200 bucks a month for rent. Right. And then we had, there was four bedrooms and we rented out two of the bedrooms yep. for 700 bucks a month. And exactly. so we were making money renting the house. Yep. Well, yeah. We did that for a year and we were able to save up a down payment for a house. Exactly. Um, and it was kind of on accident, but it was, I mean, it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I did something. I rented an apartment when I was 20 or 19, I rented an apartment and yeah, it was four bedroom apartment. I rented out the three bedrooms, lived in one. And then one day I was like, wait, if I rented out my bedroom, I could I'd make some cash flow and like <laughs> so you're so on the couch. I, I lived on the couch and then and then I didn't really like my roommates and so I ended up just sleeping in my car for, right. for most of that year. Uh, so people listening to this are going to say, awesome. "I'm not willing to do that." Uh, yeah, most people aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'm just telling you how you can build a multi-million dollar net worth. Yeah, yeah, even if you have limited income. Yeah, and if you're not willing to do it, okay. So something else that I always say is, wealthy people buy luxuries last. Mm. You know what? A 2,500 square foot house—that's a luxury. Yeah. A brand new car, that's a luxury. Let's get a pool installed, that's a luxury. Did you bring up such a great point? Is we have in America, we have moved the luxury line yeah. so far over to be like, well, I mean, yeah, I have an iPhone and I have a new car and yeah. I have a nice house and I live in a good neighborhood, but I don't do anything luxury. Right. And then you look at every other country pretty much on yeah. earth. And like the poorest person in America is in luxury. Yes. Like yes. it's it's shocking. We have a saying, I do short-term rentals, and we have a saying is yesterday's luxury is today's expectation. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is that's true across the board in our economy, right? Yeah. So you do short-term rentals. I want to get yeah. into that a little, little bit later. Sure. So let's not forget about that. But I want to go back to this idea. Well, let's actually finish up your story of how you came back. And then I want to go into the H-A-C-K-E-R. Okay. When did you decide it was, you were done? You're like, I'm, I'm done missionarying. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. got a new purpose. Yeah. I still am on mission. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. The thing has shifted a little bit, but my mission now is I want to help people maximize who they are. And a skill set that I have is the is the wealth building side. And so I'm helping people maximize their wealth building, but I'm still focused on the other pillars. And we'll talk about this a little bit later too, about you need to put people before you put money. Yeah, You're, you're going to be miserable if all you care about is building a net worth. Yeah. All I want is multi-million dollar net worth. Well, no, do that so that you can elevate your family, so that you can elevate your neighborhood, so that you yeah. can elevate your community, right? And then the third pillar is, is be generous with what you've got. Yeah. And if you can make millions and millions of dollars, you can be really generous. 
generous and you can make real big impact. And so that's my mission, which isn't a lot different than what we were doing in the field, right? Yeah, that's cool. So how did I decide to come back? Our kids were getting older. Uh, They're getting into high school age. They'd gone to five different schools because we'd moved to five different countries. And so we decided, you know what, for their stability, that's one factor. We need to put them in one spot. So we said, Mm -hmm. okay, we got one move left. Where's it going to be? And just after a lot of conversation with my wife and just kind of the COVID was in the mix of all that. Mm -hmm. And we just decided, okay, we've done what we're supposed to do. So we're going to move back to the States and settle down a little bit and quit learning new languages and quit going to new countries and, and, and plant roots. What was that transition like coming back to the States? That was hard. Was it? It was really hard. I mean, it's really good in some ways. Like you can go to Amazon and you can have stuff on your doorstep same day. Maybe yeah. not in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. But in Phoenix, <laughs> a few days, we got it? factories all over the pl- or warehouses and they yeah. drop it off same day. Uh-huh. You know, just some of that first world stuff that is so mm-hmm. convenient. It's so nice. But changing job, changing focus, changing career, changing house, mm-hmm. changing everything. It, it's hard. Yeah. Can I ask you about your kids? I saw a trend on TikTok a while back and it was it was called third culture kids yeah. mm-hmm. where they don't fit into the United States culture. Right. They don't fit into the, you know, where you guys were at right. culture. How, how have your kids responded coming back? Yeah. So Jill and I always mm-hmm. were aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I there's, it's unavoidable mm-hmm. from the life that we've lived. Um they've had such an exposure to so much stuff from mm-hmm. extreme poverty to extreme wealth too. Yeah. And, and just everything in between in different cultures and different languages. And they think in different languages too, right? They can think in a different language, which is a different culture, which is a complete different mindset. And so they have a hard time often kids adjusting either to their, their host culture or their home culture. Mm-hmm. So Jill and I set the goal that we always wanted them to thrive, not just survive, but thrive in both cultures. Mm-hmm. So when they, when we came back to the U S we just were really intentional that they would hang out with American kids. Mm-hmm. And when we were in the field, they always went to national language schools. So, mm-hmm. um, Spanish speaking schools. And so I think we did okay. I mean, yeah, they're pretty good kids. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> How many do you have? We have three. Okay. And what's been, let's talk about parenting for a minute. Yeah. What have, what has worked well for you in parenting and where have you struggled? Mm, well, very good question. Treating, I think what has worked well is having conversations with our kids as if they're another responsible, mature person rather than talking down to them or not letting them in on big conversations and just having important conversations with them and making them feel a part of the discussion and we always have the final say, of course, as parents, but but we do definitely listen to our kids and, and take that into consideration. So challenges, what has not worked well? Well, we have three teenagers now, so there's a few things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, with teenagers, the, I think the key is, is helping them come to their own conclusion and then supporting them in their conclusion, even if we're not completely in agreement with that. But I will be honest, that's a struggle, yeah. right? When you see them about to dive off of a cliff, you're like, ah, maybe oh, you shouldn't do yeah. that. <laughs> well they're not going to learn if they don't, you know, skin their knee. So Mm -hmm. that's the biggest challenge probably. Yeah. That's gotta be so hard. I mean, it's hard as with my little kids, they want to like, they just want to eat chocolate every single meal. I'm like, I want to give them the good things in life, but it's like, that's not good for you. And then they're angry. And I'm like, so I'm I'm always making that line of like, how much do I let them just have a stomach ache and be miserable because they didn't eat food. And then I'm like, they get scurvy and they die. So I'm like, there's there's multiple scenarios there I'm trying to fight against. So, yeah. But I like the first point you made there about, you know, treating them like, like actual people, like, you know, I read a book called, uh, oh shoot, what was it called? I'm going to forget the name of it, but it was a parenting book. Mm-hmm. And it, the, the best advice in that book was like treat, and this is for little kids, uh, how to talk so little kids will listen or how to talk so kids will listen. Okay. It's to treat them like like grown ups yeah. with grown up emotions, yeah. just smaller versions of them. Yeah. They're not mm-hmm. different, they're just smaller versions. So the example they gave that just really made a big impact on me was if your friend came to you, like let's say Cam came to me and was like, hey man, 
geez, I just had like, I had an all-nighter last week, which you said to me, right? You did an all-nighter because you had a huge project you were working on and it was really hard. And then we had to do like three podcasts last week. And Cam's like, just like pouring out his heart to me. Like Mm -hmm. I have this problem and I was standing up all night and I'm just not getting enough sleep. If I was like, well, if you would have planned a little bit better, if you would have, you know, last week, maybe you could have gotten up earlier, Cam. Like how would Cam react to me? He'd be like, douchebag. Like, yeah, exactly. like not, you. yeah, you would hate me because I'm just not, but if I was like, dude, I'm, I feel that. Like I've been there. Uh, that sucks. Yeah. I'm just going to feel it with you. And it gave that example, yeah. but adults, we, we resonate, we yeah, feel, yeah, we empathize yeah, yeah. in a conversation and then we feel heard. Mm-hmm. But with kids, we don't, yeah. <laughs> we treat them like animals or yeah. like, you shouldn't feel that way. Yeah. That's a really bad way to feel like yeah. you're, you're dumb. And the reason you feel yeah. that way is because you made mistakes. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I, that I, made such a big impact on me. Treat I them was, like adults. I was listening to a podcast. It was along those same lines where it was like treating them like adults, where it talked about like, say, say we went went out to dinner and yeah. you were having a great time and, and you know, I was ready to go and I wanted you to come with me and you were like, I don't want to go. I'm like, no, you're going. Yeah, no, yeah. get in the car, get in the car, yeah, get in the car. Exactly, yeah. And they were talking about like just talking to your kids like an adult. And so yeah. when we go to the park or something like that and we're ready to go and my kids obviously don't want to go, like I'll get down at eye level with them. I'm like, I know mm. you had so much fun today yeah. and we're going to come back, you know, instead of just being like, no, 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 yeah. we had yeah. to go. And so it has been so... Yeah. Because having those conversations with them instead of just kind of bossing them around. That's definitely um, where I struggle. changed yeah. everything Let's go. For us. Time to go. Yep, Let's time go. To go. Yeah. Get in the car. And I yep. want like, and the, I want to be like a, a, I don't know, rigid is maybe the wrong word, but like a strong parent yeah. and have rules and guidelines right. and all that. But I, I also want to treat them like, yeah. like a real person right. yeah. that has a soul and has a future. So it's that friction that we got to figure friction, out, right? Yeah. Yeah, just getting them to understand the reasoning behind. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, we have to go because of this. Yeah, this, I've been this. trying to do, do more of that, yeah. too. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then they kind of let, let go of their grip on their, yeah. their stance, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. I also started treating all my grown-up friends like my kids. Like I got my kids. I'm always like, all right, guys, five-minute warning. <laughs> Three-minute warning. Time to go. And Cam's like, okay. okay. <laughs> all right. It's fine, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's go. Let's let's talk about the hacker method, the okay. book in general. First of all, why did you write the book? Well, I had nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> we came back from the field and, you know, we'd gotten to a point to where the real estate was performing and paying for the, for, for our expenses. And, and I was kind of intentionally taking some, some time off and following my wife around the house, driving her nuts. And I said, you know what? I, I've never even, I mean, I have it all over my head, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that we've done. And, and I, I had friends of mine that when we, when we moved back from the field, everybody asks, what are you going to do next? nothing, mm-hmm. right? I'm just going to like manage the investments. I'm like, what? Like, w- I've never heard any, a missionary for sure mm-hmm. ever say anything like that. And so I'd had people start kind of like probing, like, well, how, tell me about that. How did that happen? Mm-hmm. And then I had one guy say, do you think I could do that? I'm like, mm-hmm. Of course you could do that. How? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, it's all up here. I don't yeah. know. And so that was what gave birth to the idea of maybe I should like figure out what I did and, and articulate it and try to get it in a way that other people would understand it. And maybe it can help some people. So mm. that's what gave birth to that. Very cool. Well, let's go into it. H, okay. you already mentioned that one. Yeah. H stands for hack your lifestyle. Hack your lifestyle. So it's just get looking at all of your different spending categories and trying to figure out a hack for all of them. The house hack, that's the biggest one. Yeah. Eliminate or reduce dramatically your living expenses, your housing expenses through house hacking. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to... It doesn't have to be that you have somebody living in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. Like that's an absolutely great way to do it. You can rent out a bedroom on Airbnb mm-hmm. on a nightly rate and you can cover your mortgage if you have a couple extra yeah. bedrooms, right? Uh, but if you don't want that, if you want more privacy, you can buy. I have several homes where I have a house and then a separate building yep. 
that is on the lot and you can put a fence between them. And so you don't even, you know, yep. nobody would even know. Mm -hmm. And then you just rent out that other part and it can cover a vast majority of your, of your mortgage. Yeah. I think there's a misconception that says house hacking is only for like crappy little properties. In yeah. The ghetto, right. You know? And I'm like, I live in a, Yes. Apparently $5 million house in wow. Maui where I have an extra house, an ADU. Yeah. We call them Ohana's yeah. out here. But right. There's different names everywhere. Casitas. Casitas in Phoenix. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you got casinos or casitas, uh, mother-in-law apartments, yep. whatever. Everyone's yep. got a name for it. Yep. Uh, but it's an ADU is probably the more like... Additional technical. dwelling unit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you got this ADU and, and yeah, it covers half my mortgage. And then I have a de technically downstairs that could rent out. a $5 million yeah, dollar yeah. property. Yeah, I mean, think about that. I mean, I paid only two-ish. Right. Like, and you're charging us to send our kids there for school. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so I'm hacking my basement. Yes, that's the, yes. That's, yes. There, yep. you can do multiple hacks in a, hacks in a house, yes, right? Yes, it's, to it's totally possible. And someday, I, I mean, I even looked at my house and I've got... We got the ADU in the back. I've got the upstairs, which is two bedroom, two bath. And I have the downstairs, which is two bedroom, two bath. Mm -hmm. And plus uh, there's like a kitchen downstairs and all that. So I could rent the whole bottom out. I could also right. take the one bedroom, which is now a school room, mm -hmm. but the one bedroom and the kitchen, that's one unit. Mm -hmm. I could close off the door to the other unit, the, the, the master bedroom down there, right. the primary bedroom. And then I could close that off, put a little tiny kitchen at there. Would code allow that? Yes, because it's still renting by the bedroom. Okay. So okay. it would not be a legal another unit. Okay. I would just shut the door, yeah. put a lock on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and exactly. then I put a little kitchen in front of it, little hot plate, little yeah. like, you know, whatever. And now it, and it's got a separate entrance and it's right. its own bathroom. Now yep. I've got a studio. Yep. So yeah. I've got a studio. I've got the one bedroom and all of this is joined by doors. Right. Which is makes it now it's just so you I'm renting by the bedroom. You can, you can lock. lock. Yeah. It. So they're yeah. all separate. So I actually have a fourplex if I wanted yeah. to. I could bring in fifteen to twenty. You could cover month. your entire mortgage and then some, and still live. on a five million yeah, yeah. dollar property that overlooks the ocean with yeah. a pool and like it's ridiculous. Well, right. In a way, we're even house hacking a little bit more creatively, mm -hmm. but we have a, a household assistant that if we were to just go out and hire would cost us sixty five, seventy thousand dollars a year. Right. But instead, we have a little. You yeah. know, it's connected to our house, but it's a bedroom with a little kitchenette, and we allow them to live there yeah. for free. There you go. And now we pay them. You know three grand a month yeah. versus $70,000 yeah. a year because yeah. they're living there. And so we're saving thirty, forty thousand $40,000 a year by house hacking yeah. in a little bit more of a creative way. Exactly. But still. Yeah, exactly. Um, hacking your and you don't, now. you don't do that kind of a thing when you're first getting started, but that's a way to continue to house hack after you've kind of mm -hmm. built some, built a portfolio and all that. Yeah. yeah. I like thinking that way too. Like the thing that I've told the story before, but I'll say it now is when I, when I was looking at buying this house, you know, it was almost $2 million. I'm like, it's yeah. literally 10 times more than the most expensive house I ever bought in my yeah. life. And I was like, <laughs> I can't do this. And I called my friend, David Green, who was a you know, yeah. host of mm -hmm. a bigger pockets podcast. Now I'm like, David, this is an amazing house. There's no way I could do it. And he goes, well, let's just look at the, the worst case scenario. Yeah. Like, okay. It doesn't work. I mean, you got the money for a down payment. You got approved for the loan. So worst case, you have to move back to the U like to the mainland. Yeah. Okay. What happens? I'm like, well, I guess I could rent out the upstairs, downstairs and back house. So could you pay your mortgage? Yes. Mm -hmm. So he's like, he's like, okay, you, you can make some cash flow. Yeah, actually, I probably would. Okay, so you're saying, Brandon, worst case scenario, <laughs> you've got a $2 million house that's going to be worth $5 million 30 years from now, which in reality, it's in five, like five years, years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah, five years happened. But he's like, 30 years from now, you have a house worth $5 million, and it's paid off to zero, and your tenants paid it off. So very worst case, you're worth $5 million more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's worst case scenario. So maybe we go to the closing table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that one argument convinced me. And so yeah. the reason I bring that up too is like, had I instead not bought that and just rented because I was afraid, mm -hmm. now I would have missed out on what I've now added over $3 million of value to my house and my net worth. 
I would have missed out on. And you would have been paying off somebody else's mortgage. Paying off somebody else's mortgage. I'm still paying the monthly cost. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because now rents, when I first moved here, were probably $5,000 a month. Now they're $15,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And so like now now I have no control over it. My mortgage is fixed. Mm -hmm. And so a fear would have... Yeah, fear could have caused me to miss out on so much and cost me so much. But Mm -hmm. by having that house hacking... I don't even rent out the basement or the downstairs, the first level. I could... I could rent out the other, that little house is, you know, it's an opera option sure, sure. and it's a stop. But you don't need to. I don't need to, but yeah. if I needed to at any point I could. Right. And that's what I like thinking. Anytime I buy a primary residence, I'm, and I may not always think this way, but I feel like I might. Yeah. I'm all, I always We're have to wired have a way. that way. Yeah. I'm yeah. wired that way to say worst case scenario. How do I what not is, lose? Yeah. What could I do? So I have a, I want to play devil's advocate just yeah. a little bit because yeah, yeah. um, I have a strategy that I have used and you can look at me and just say, Cameron, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, feel free to do that. Brandon can do so, that. <laughs> so I was listening to uh, a, a speech. It was, I don't know who it was by, but they were talking about like betting on yourself mm-hmm. and he literally made, and I'm not advising this for anybody, <laughs> but he made the comment, like go buy that $150,000 car that you want, go spend extravagantly yeah. because you're putting yourself in a corner to now you have to, mm. you have to make that money. And, and I am a firm believer in betting on yourself and I would never advise somebody to do that. But I do sometimes think like, maybe you do need to spend a little bit of money. Cause that I, I, I truly believe that if anybody, if I came to Brandon right now and say he had no money and I said, Brandon, you have to make a million dollars next year or you will never see your family again. Right. He's going to figure out a way to make a million dollars. And I think everybody, I really truly do. I think everybody most of the people in the world could do it if they were backed into a corner. And so I, I like that philosophy. So I want to just hear like playing devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your response to that? So my response to that would be if if I had to generate a million dollars in income in order mm-hmm. to see my family again, I, again, I absolutely would do that. Mm-hmm. I would not do that for a $150,000 car. Mm-hmm. I would not do it for that. That yeah. doesn't, in, in my world, that doesn't have the importance of seeing my family again, yeah. right? So- I would not advise somebody, especially someone who's like, I don't know if I can buy a duplex. Yeah. Like if they're at that level of timidity, if they're at uh-huh. that level of getting started and getting off the fence, I wouldn't advise that. Mm-hmm. I, I would, and, and that kind of comes back to my concept of wealthy people buy luxuries last mm-hmm. instead of first. Yeah. What's our motivation here? What Do you want to build wealth because you want to have a $150,000 car? Okay. All right. If that's the case, that's fine. I want to talk to people who want to provide for their family in an abundant way. Yeah. I want to talk to people who want to buy a building for the community that serves underprivileged kids, like uh-huh. a, a, an orphanage or something like that. I want to I want to support people who have that kind of focus, right? Yeah. Who who want to maybe they uh, donate to the college that they went to or something like that. That's that's what I. Mm-hmm. want to focus on. So I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't subscribe to that concept. I understand it. Yeah. I do understand and, it. And I think buying a hundred, I would never do that. I think that's right. dumb, but going out and, and taking a risk, betting on yourself, buying yeah. that, that apartment sure. complex that you don't know if you can afford. Yeah. Like, so I would, have to do... I would say the the car, the expensive car, I mean, maybe you can put it on Turo and get some money out mm-hmm. of it, but only until it's no longer the coolest car mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that, that nightly rate on that Turo is going to go way down, yeah. right, at some point. An investment property, however, absolutely. Yeah. And I would push someone pretty hard to get them to take that risk. And I would say that's kind of along the lines of you want to see your family again. Okay, well, this is a way that you can provide abundantly for your family. Uh-huh. So this is a risk that you need to take. And yeah, you need gotcha. to jump off that off, off that. So it's Ledge. just evaluating the risk. Yeah. And the value of what it is that you're chasing, right? Uh, when, before Another before moving to Hawaii story real quick is a, a buddy of mine told me that exact thing. He said, listen, when you move to Hawaii and you got that $10,000 a month payment on your house mm-hmm. or your, your rental or whatever, he goes, you will 
yeah. naturally rise to the occasion and live a bigger life yeah, and yeah. Be whatever. And he w- he wasn't wrong. I did that. Now the 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 counterpoint to that though that I I see when people are like, yeah, just buy the like buy the big boat, buy the car, mm-hmm. buy the whatever cuz you will you will make it work. You will make it work. Right. But it takes time away from your life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. you do is a piece of your life it takes whether it's a mental piece or whether it's a physical piece or time. It takes okay, yes, I can make like for I mean, here's a real life example. Mm-hmm. A year ago, like I was I finally came to the realization that I didn't have a lot of money coming in anymore, mm-hmm. right? Because open door capital, I donate my salary away, which is one, a, a really good sales pitch for investors saying like, but it's a true one. It's like, yeah, I yeah, literally yeah. don't make money unless investors make money first. So I wasn't making from money from open door capital. And then better life, I decided not to take a salary. And, and so bigger I made no pockets is over. And bigger pockets was over. And so I was like, well, what do I do for money? I have book royalties <laughs> coming in. Book royalties just tanked after I left bigger pockets. Wow. I'm like, okay, now I have really just living on cash flow mm. for my rental property, but I sold almost all my rental properties mm-hmm. to dump everything in open or capital, just go all in. And so all of a sudden I, I was having very limited income, just literally just off the few percent that I was getting from ODC mm-hmm. uh, distributions. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I've got six months of runway mm-hmm. and I'm like, I got to figure this out. So I launched what four businesses. One of them, Cam and I are doing deal flow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's your business, but I have a advisor role in it. So I got some equity there. Uh, I launched the mortgage company. I launched the 50, which is that high level mastermind that I have. There's a couple of little things, like smaller things in there. All in all, it fixed the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, I brought in millions of dollars, like combined, it's going to be several million dollars a year. It totally worked. I'm working three times more right. than I was a year ago. <laughs> right. So yes, I solved the problem and I made a bunch of money and now I'm working way more hours than right. I want to. So now I'm in this, I'm like, okay, now I got to get out of all this work. And I'm like <laughs> trying to figure out how to like reduce my time. So it, it is possible. Mm-hmm. And because I have this like lavish lifestyle here in Hawaii, I now have to make tens of thousands of dollars a month just to survive. So it, there's a pro and con to it. I, yeah. I'm actually a big fan of like the idea of yeah, reduce your housing expenses to yeah. as much as possible. Ironically, book royalties came back up again. So now they pay all my bills again, which is wonderful. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for buying my books, everyone. You're great. Keep doing it. Uh, and yeah, the businesses are thriving, but it takes Love a piece it. out of me. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. So what I, what I would kind of put a cap on that, what I would say, what I would advise someone to do mm-hmm is don't go buy a $150,000 car. In fact, I really promote buy a car that you can pay cash for, Mm -hmm. kind of the Dave Ramsey concept. Buy a car that you can pay cash for now, but don't buy a $150,000 car. Buy a $500,000 property. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Make it cash flow. Yep. Watch the appreciation go up year after year after year. Do that Mm -hmm. every single year. And then when you get to the end of your process, like the hacker method process, go buy four of those cars. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Delay that gratification and really think down the line, right? And when you buy a $500,000 house, you're still, you've got the same mindset. Okay, I got to make sure this thing floats mm-hmm. because yeah. if it doesn't, I'm in trouble, right? Yeah. And so you got that same motivation to keep it going. That would be what I would say. I really wanted a Tesla really bad for years. Like this was back like five years ago. And I really wanted a Tesla. And I was like, I, but I refused to buy one until I could get an asset to pay for it. So then uh, finally yeah. I was able to work out this kind of burr property where I got a thousand dollars a month in cash flow from it here on Maui. And, uh, so did so it, bought your Tesla. Bought my Tesla. Yeah. And then ironically, like a month later, I flipped a property here and I made like 140 grand. Or something <laughs> on it. So I just paid the whole thing off. Yeah. But either way, I mean, it was a win-win and now I just get the cash flow from the property. Right. Yeah. So I, I waited until it. So I think people oftentimes look at guys like us who are 20 years into their career right. and like, well, he has a Tesla, so I can buy a Tesla. Right, right, well, right. I didn't buy the Tesla until I could afford, like until yeah. I had the Tesla, I could pay mm-hmm. for it. Right. So it's just a good reminder for people to I'm not 20 in years in my career, but I also drive a $5,000. That is true. You drive a $5,000. Have you have the coolest truck? You have, you have the coolest truck in town. It is so. cool. It is it's cool. cool. There you go. Yeah, it's, but, a, it's a cool truck. There you go. All right. So that's hack your lifestyle. Let's go to the A. 
allocation budgeting. So that's the 50, 40, 10 concept. Mm. So get your income or get your expending down to 50% of your income by reducing your expenses, but also increasing your income. Mm -hmm. And then 40% start investing that in whatever way that you feel comfortable. I know if you haven't been investing, that, that might feel intimidating to you. So just start with the basics. Throw it into an S&P 500 mutual fund mm. and just kind of start watching the market and see what happens when the Fed does this and that does that. And Caterpillar has these, you know, just learn the ebb and flow of investing and let that account build up until you can get, and I do recommend people eventually get into real estate. Mm. It's the most tried and true asset class for building wealth for thousands of years, mm, right? Yeah. Uh, crypto is like three years, you know, <laughs> of existence or, or 13 or 30 or whatever it is. Um, but I just encourage people to, yes, get started. Don't wait. Put that 40% in. The earlier you start, the easier it's going to be down the road. Mm -hmm. You know, if you if you can start really early and you have lots of years after your portfolio has built up, it's just so much easier. I talk about financial escape velocity also, like all the, the thrust and the fuel that it takes to get up mm -hmm. off the ground. Mm -hmm. But then you get to this point to where you've broken past gravity and you're just literally effortlessly flying yeah. at 17,000 miles an hour. It's the same kind of thing happens in building wealth. It, it takes effort and fuel and energy and focus and trial and error and to get up off the ground. But there's a certain point, and I was talking to David Osborne actually told me yeah. this concept, mm -hmm. gets to be a certain point to where the laws of financial gravity no really, no longer really apply to you. You've break, broken past that. Mm -hmm. And it's not effortless, but it just takes a little bit of fuel to keep that number climbing and climbing and climbing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that it takes that effort in the beginning. You've got to start investing that 40% and then give the 10% away. Um, so that piece of that, I talk about. So my experience as running a nonprofit, I had to do a lot of fundraising. And I would meet with hundred millionaires and 50 millionaires and mm. widows that had nothing and, and were living on social security. And I was always blown away by when, you know, I would go in, I'm going to ask this person for money and I'd feel bad about it. And I'd feel like resident mm -hmm. or, or resistant and sweating. And, oh my gosh, I'm going to ask them for money. And they're going to tell me to get out of their house. You know, almost every single time, not only did they not kick me out of their house, they said, thank you. Like What? Thank you for asking you for money. Did you hear me? Yeah. I, I want you to give <laughs> me money, right? <laughs> the truth is, is, is the people who have figured out how to give away some of what they have earned, I think are the happiest people on earth. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. And when I teach the 50, 40, 10 budget, oftentimes we're focused on the 50%. What can I spend my money on? But when you learn how to give your money away, that can become your favorite category. Like yeah. what makes your heart tick? What injustice, like human trafficking, what injustice breaks your heart and you want to fix? And as you get wealthier, you can write bigger and bigger checks and you can have a bigger and bigger impact on the world. And so, so yeah, 50% on your spending, 40% on your investing, which it is a spending account, but just 15 years from now or 10 years mm -hmm. from now or 20 years from now, right? And then that 10% to change the world. Yeah. I really believe that God has given certain people a desire to go and serve as a missionary right. and to make no money and to be broke. And other people, I think he's given the desire to sit and pray for four hours a day for people. Right. And he's given some people the desire and the ability to go out and raise mass amounts of money yeah. and to make it. And it's not for them. Like yep. God did not give me this unique ability and you and you this ability just so we can buy a private jet. Even though I may buy a private jet sure. someday. Sure. I buy a lot. I, I, but... I, I may not because that might be, I, I look at that as a depreciating asset where like real, I will buy the nicest house for the rest of my life and always, I will always punch like higher right. than I can, than I can reach because I know that real estate will always win. Right. I believe it right. will almost right. always win. Right. So 
And then it all goes to him anyway at some point. It yeah, all goes to right. good no matter what. So you do get 100% depreciation though. And I get 100% depreciation. <laughs> no. Did that come? I think it did. I think yeah. it did. I, I oh, is that, is that final? It's not final. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. coming. Yeah. It's we coming. think it's coming. We'll yeah. see. When so, this episode airs, we'll know. Yes. Either, either, oh, really? When When is that dropping? When is that? I don't know. When's the book come out officially? Uh, February 27th. This will probably drop somewhere right around February 27th. Yeah, I think so. they said February 26th. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, when this episode drops, pick up a copy of The Hacker Method, but we're not done yet. All right. H-A, next we got C-K. C-K, cash is king investing. Mm -hmm. And in that chapter, or in that section, I'm really trying to expose people who've never really thought of themselves as investors. So it's the unexpected investor's guide to building wealth, right? Mm. You need to make that leap from being a consumer. So what I always tell people is when you look at your paycheck, like hopefully you have a physical printout, right? Like Mm -hmm. look at your paycheck and tell your paycheck, you have three purposes, Half of you is to spend for me now, mm-hmm. 40% of you is to invest, and 10% is to change the world through your generosity, right? And you're looking at your paycheck, and that 40% investing, you've got to accept the identity or the label of I am an investor, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is so different from I am a consumer. Like, oh, I got this paycheck. Like, when I got my first job and I got my first paycheck, like, what could I spend all this money yeah, on, yeah, yeah. right? And instead of saying that, saying, how can I invest this money and begin to take on the identity of looking for opportunities? I always say, you know, somebody might be saying, I'm, I'm waiting for an opportunity to fall on my lap. Mm-hmm. And I have a kind of a, a comeback to that. Opportunities don't fall in your lap. They pass by your line of vision. Mm-hmm. And if you recognize them and you grab them, you can do something with them. If you don't recognize them, they keep on going, yeah. mm-hmm. right? They just fly right out of your line of sight and they move on to somebody else that knows what they're looking for and grabs mm-hmm. it. That's a great point. That's really good. All right, so what is cash is king investing? Why cash is king? What does that mean? It's really just a play on that concept that the one who has the cash is the one who makes the decisions. Yeah. So when yeah. you can save your cash up, you can now go and invest. Exactly it right. You got it. Exactly right. Yeah, and if you if you it. using your cash to make more cash, yep. always be conscious of buying assets that go up in value and pay you cash, mm-hmm. right? My advice is always to invest in things that do both of those things, not one or the other. Like you could loan money out to people, that's fine, and that's going to get you some cash, but your your capital is not growing, mm-hmm. right? You could invest in a growth stock, and that's going to go up in value, so it's going up, but it's not paying you a dividend, right? Mm-hmm. I always encourage people get both of those sources, and real estate is a fantastic asset class in that sense, that it typically goes up in value. In fact, I want to I say this. When I was doing research, I went to the U.S. Census, and they started recording the median household sale price in 1940. Mm-hmm. And then they studied the median sale price every decade after that. There has not been a single decade, great rece- or the Great Depression, 15 mm-hmm. recessions, the dot-com bust, the 08 crash. There hasn't been a single 10-year period from 1940 to 50, 67, where real estate hasn't gone up by at least 40% in that decade. Wow. No losses. Crazy. Yeah. And not even small gains, 40% increase or more, not average and not annual, but over that yeah, 10 years, yeah, right? That's wild. And so we can't guarantee that that's going to be the case going in the future, but the history tells us mm-hmm. it's very likely. Yeah. Yeah. So have a long-term view on your investing, dump your 40% cash mm-hmm. into income producing assets that go yeah. up in value and ride that out to generate more cash. I saw somewhere and I haven't fact checked this, but there's never been a span of five years in, in, 
uh, real estate where it's gone down in value. Wow. So like you've hit yeah. 2009 and obviously it dropped a lot, but by and 2014, <laughs> it, had, it had caught no, back up than, and yeah. was over. So there's never been a span of five years. Yeah. Wow. But I love the unexpected, like kind of you're the unexpected investor because I see those people all the time. Right. I, I invest in single family homes. And mm-hmm. so part of that is going to other single family owners and buying their houses. And so there's just really cool story that, that I had where um, it was a guy. He was a janitor. He he mm. he was he was very open about. It. He had never made more than like forty thousand dollars right, a year. Right. But in nineteen, I think the house was built in like nineteen sixty five. He bought a house for thirty thousand dollars, and then a couple years later, his neighbor wanted to sell, and he bought that for like thirty five thousand dollars. And a couple years later, another one bought that for like forty thousand dollars. And then he had three houses back to back to back, all on the same street. Never did anything else. Never invested right. any more money. Those houses are all worth like four to $500,000 now. So, <laughs> so um, happy for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's yeah. such a cool story. I mean, it's, it took 60 years to get there. Yeah. You know, I think he's his late seventies, but without, without ever making yeah. more than $40,000 in a year, not ever even really trying. He's, right. a, he's a millionaire now just from three house purchases. Um, that, that's my that's mission. Wild. I want to find people just like that. And I want to grab them and give them a big hug. And I want to say, let's do this. Let's do this together because it is possible. It is possible. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. All right. H-A-C-K-E-R. What's the E? So E is exponentiality. So what we, and I don't think that's an actual word, but mm-hmm. exponentiality. So the idea yes. is, is. Technically every word we have was not a word at one point. Well, that is true. So. That is true. It was Latin. And then yeah, before that yeah, it was yeah. knows what, right? Yeah. yeah. It was something else. We, everybody invented every word ever made. That's so. true. So exponentiality <laughs> will be in the dictionary will here be. in a couple of years. So the concept is that is when you're, when you're first getting started, you're dumping, ca- you have to dump cash in in order to get money to come back out. Mm-hmm. And so it might feel like slow and it might feel like, man, I got 38 cents in dividends this month from yeah. my stocks. You know, like what, this is not going to do anything. And you need to get to that point to where you're learning how to invest to where you, like the Burr is a great example in real estate where you, you maybe do an initial investment up front, but you figure out a way to get your initial investment out so mm-hmm. that your investment into an asset is zero but you still have the asset and it's still producing income. So exponential, Mm -hmm. exponential growth to where you've gotten to the point to where your portfolio is large enough, the cash is king concept comes back in where you can buy assets and condition it in a way to where, here's an example on a stock. If you bought a stock and you did great on it and it doubled in value, sell half of it, pull your initial capital back out and then just leave that profit in there to multiply forever, you know, Mm -hmm. theoretically, that's how you get exponential returns on your investment to where literally you have nothing invested, but it's paying you and going up in value. That's, That's exponentiality. Yeah. I remember, um, so we, we've we done the Burr method over 50 times, you know, on, on single family houses. But I remember the very first one we did. I mean, it was amazing because we recaptured all of our money invested, but it was right. like, oh, we get 250 bucks of cash. Yeah. Well, it's going to take a long yeah. time yeah. to get there. And a lot of them. Yes. Yep. Um, but then we were able to just continue doing that over time and over time. And eventually the cash flow just from our single family portfolio paid for all of our bills. Yeah, and, yeah. and we hit level one financial freedom. Yeah. But just doing that over and over again and and letting that grow, it was uh, amazing. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Hey, I want to ask you about the R, yeah. uh, but first, one thing we do on the show is we set aside the entire ad revenue from every episode toward to give to a charity of the guest choosing. So where are we sending the money from this episode? So my lovely wife, she's a registered nurse, and she, when we came back from the field, she just had this desire to serve people one-on-one. And so she went and is volunteering for Hushabye Nursery, which is a nursery for babies that are born addicted to opiates, mm. opioids. 
And so literally, so the statistics are something like a baby that goes through their program is released a week later, whereas a baby just in a normal hospital is is released 28 days later. Wow. So it's one week instead of four weeks. And wow. so it just really sets that baby on a, on a new track. And so to support my wife, I would love for those funds to go to to that nursery because they're, they're helping many, many, many people. We'll make it happen. Awesome. I'm All right. It. Thank you. All right. Well, that said, this week's show sponsor... Hey, here's an urgent message for podcasters, but only if you're seriously committed and you're willing to spend a little bit of money to work with a rock star team like Podcast Point Man. Did you know 90% of podcasts don't make it past three episodes? It's crazy, right? I mean, what's the difference between podcasters who fade away and then the top performers who get downloads, they make money, they raise capital, they have fun along the way? Well, I can tell you, a lot of it comes down to the team around you. You'll give yourself a much better chance of building a profitable and successful podcast if you have experts helping edit video and audio, handling monetization, and building a growth strategy. So if you're serious about taking things to the next level with your podcast or just getting started with one and blowing up your show, I highly recommend Kevin's team at Podcast Point Man. I hired Kevin over at Bigger Pockets, actually, and we work with his team to this day. So Here's what to do if you're a podcaster who wants to grow. Check out Kevin's free masterclass. It's called Five Ways to Grow Your Show Today. You can find that video on his homepage at podcastpointman.com. That's podcastpointman.com for a masterclass on podcast growth. Link in the show notes. All right, back to the show. The R on Hacker. So it's, it's four words. It's review. In any business, in anything that you're doing, you need to analyze what you're doing. Is this working? Yeah. So review it. Is it working for you? If it's working for you, repeat it. Yeah. Repeat it. So one of the things that I struggle with as an entrepreneur is I get distracted by shiny objects. Right? No. Yes. And, no it's, other and, I, and it took me until I was like 40 years old where I finally said, stop, just yeah. focus on what you're good at. And, mm. and so, so if it's working, you need to stay focused. If it's not working, the other R is rework it. Mm-hmm. You need to you need to pivot. So in 2016, when I discovered short-term rentals, Airbnb, I switched from all traditional rentals to short-term rentals. That was a pretty significant pivot Mm -hmm. because now I'm basically a hotel operator, right? And that's a big difference in in, in the business model. So rework it. And Mm -hmm. then R is reward. It's for sure for me, and I found other people who've been successful, that may be a hard step to do because you've gotten so conditioned, you know, like the 50, 40, 10, invest 40%, do this, this, this to get to the point to where you allow yourself to reward yourself by that Tesla, yeah, or by that yeah. jet or, or whatever it is that you need to do. And I honestly think that that's an important part of the process. Otherwise, so I actually say people who are, even if they're wealthy, if they're unable to release their cash, mm-hmm. that's a form of greed, Yeah. right? And I know that sounds weird that I don't think it's it's greedy to not buy a Tesla, but I think it is. I think I think we are supposed to enjoy the blessings that we have received. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so as long as we're being responsible with the things that we we have, mm-hmm. we need to reward ourselves. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. I think, yeah, when people when people just stockpile their money and they just will not spend it, that's not a sign necessarily of good stewardship. Yeah. It's a sign of uh not trusting right. yeah. yourself and God. Yeah. And or you. you're relying on your... placing too high of a value on money itself. Yeah. 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 Like right? I need to have this vault of yeah. money yeah. to yeah. feel secure. Yes. No, I need to 
be in a relationship with Jesus yeah. to feel secure or yeah. whatever, you know, like yeah. the money is just, it's nice. And so right. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to spend it. I'm yeah. going to use it. Yeah. I'm not going to be irresponsible. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, that's great. I love the re reward. I have a, uh, uh, a story about that of just the reward side of things, because when we got started, we, we were doing really well and we were making a lot of money, but I was in the, the philosophy of like, I'm just going to keep working really, really hard stockpiling as much money as I can. Mm -hmm. And we actually got, we got hit by a drunk driver. Ooh. Um, yeah. With our kids in the car Ooh. and yeah. And oh, we, I never heard this story. You've never heard this? No. Oh dude, this was, this is the reason we're in Maui. Oh, oh maybe yeah. you told that on the podcast. I don't know if I did, but I don't know. Keep going. So we got hit by a drunk driver. I mean, he was going about like, 60. Oh, yeah. Man. He was going about 60. Luckily we were driving an SUV. And so we ended up being fine, sh shaken up, yeah. whiplash. We ended up being fine, but legitimately like probably a couple months beforehand, we had, we had sold a, a little Toyota Corolla wow. that we were driving and gotten this SUV. Mm. Right. And so I remember I was so like, it, it was weird because we were fine, but I went through a lot of anxiety because of that, because I'm like, what, you know, the, what, what would have, what could have happened yeah, if we were in that right, Like, right. So going through like this in, in the blink of an eye, everything yeah, could yeah, change. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I started talking to uh, actually a counselor about it, where I was like, I'm just I, like, I'm so nervous. And he actually had me do this exercise and he was like, Hey Cameron, like, let's play this out. Let, he, he called it like some like worst case scenario, almost like visualizing like right. the worst. Yeah. And he's like, what would you be doing today? if you knew in five years, something bad was going to happen. Right, 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 right. And we started like working through those exercises. And I was like, I wouldn't work as much. <laughs> I would spend more of the yeah. money that I have. Like we, we had made it at that point where I'm like, I would move to, I would move to Maui. Right. So we started rewarding ourselves. Like, I, I feel like that was a, an integral moment in that where it was like, Hey, we, we actually are making a lot of money and we can afford to move our family to, to Maui. Right. Um, and I get to not work as much if yeah. I don't want to. And so it was such a, it was actually a really great thing that happened right. to us. It sucked at the time, but yeah. because of that, I'm like, we're going to reward ourselves for the hard work that we're putting in and yeah. we get to spend more time with our kids now. That was a, it was an interesting story about how I started rewarding myself for all of the work that we're putting in and, and yeah. the money that we're making. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. Are you going to die with zero? The book? Uh, I think no, I have no. it on my shelf and it's in the stack yet to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You have that shelf. Which is kind of, that stack it's too big. <laughs> it's too tall. Yes. Uh, I heard a quote the other day that said something along the lines of like your books, like don't be, don't get anxiety about the giant pile of books in your house that are unread. Right. It's like a collection of wine. Like you just need the right night oh, to open it. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah, it's like, that's it's so like, good. Oh, yeah. I just have like 50 books I haven't read. It's Maybe getting a better with time yeah. sitting yeah, exactly. there. <laughs> it's better time. And the right night and the right day, you're right. like, I'm going through this problem. Yes. And that book, yes. call, like books so call to you, don't so they? So like, good, yes. They're like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Die With Zero, I, I read it. He called me after six months of sitting on my shelf. Yeah, it's a very similar concept mm -hmm. of like, we can't take it with us. Yeah, right. So how do you spend it at the appropriate right. level and the appropriate amount, whether spend, give, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that book I thought was pretty great. It's like de definitely like if you read that book and you're not wealthy in some right. way, it's probably like, this is a lame book. But yeah. for those of us <laughs> who have some money, it's like, it's a really good read. Yeah. All right, man. Because you, you are going to die with zero. You are. Yeah, you are. I mean, yeah, you are. Yeah, at least the moment after you die, yeah, exactly. you've yeah, got you nothing, got nothing <laughs> left. So, so yeah, how do you how do you allocate it? Right. Did you, it's a very serious question. Did you ever think about calling the book the hacker method with the four R's? <laughs> like, uh, I didn't. Hacker. I didn't think about that. Nobody would ever do that. Yep. Nobody <laughs> would come up with something like that. It's so, so good. Dumb. It's so good. <laughs> it's so uh, wonderful. All right. STR, short-term rentals. Yeah. You said you got into those. What has worked with them? What's your portfolio look like? Uh, how have you found success with them? So we have 36 short-term wow. rentals um, in Boise, Idaho and Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. Why and Boise? one in the mountains. I was born there. Oh. So yeah. So that's just where I started building my portfolio. 
And so in the short-term rental story, we had traditional rentals. I think we had 17 units at the time. And I was living in, I don't know, Peru or Ecuador, I can't remember. And we had come back to the US. And because we had tenants in all of our houses, we couldn't stay in any of our houses. So we had somebody from the church, they lent us their house. We got back to the US late. We got to the house at one o'clock in the morning. We walked in and I took like three steps into the house and realized I was walking in like two or three inches of water. So the house was flooded. And so by three o'clock in the morning, we got the water main shut off, called the owner and, and crashed in a hotel. And there's, we have a family of five. And so the next morning I wake up, it's just a disaster. I'm like, we cannot do this. And my wife said, oh, have you heard about that? What is it? Airbnb? You know, like Mm -hmm. it was 2016, right? It's like, okay, yeah. So I open an account in Boise, Idaho, looking for a three bedroom house. It was September. It wasn't even like summer peak season. September, there were only three houses and they were all like $160 and up per night. I was like, how much am I getting for my houses? (laughs) <laughs> like 30 bucks a night. Yeah. And so that started the wheels turning. A couple months later, I switched a couple of my units to short-term rentals. That went so well. Mm-hmm. I flipped my entire portfolio by the end wow. of the year. Wow, and so I, really? I switched everything over to short-term rentals in 2016. Yeah. So what are the what are the changes you've seen in short-term rentals over the last, you know, whatever, Yeah. Last so uh, like I said earlier, yesterday's uh, luxury is today's expectation. The, the quality that you have to produce just keeps getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. The amenities that you offer has to keep getting higher and higher. COVID was an unnatural uh, spike. The the hangover after COVID was an unnatural uh, trough, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? And now what we're seeing is finally for the last five or six months, we've had month over month gains from same month previous year um, in daily rate and occupancy or, or total rent. And so we're finally starting to recover from that. Um, so yeah, that's what I see in, in our markets anyway. How about legality wise or legislation? Yeah. Have they been cracking down? Like if it laws change, how do you navigate yeah. that? So that there side? are six, five or six states that passed laws back in 2016 that actually protected property owners' rights okay. um, for short-term mm-hmm. rentals. Uh, Idaho was one of them and Arizona was one of them. So those are the two states that I'm invested in. And I would only invest in states that have a law similar to that. Mm -hmm. Now they are able to regulate so they can charge a a license fee and all this kind of stuff, but they cannot prohibit it. Mm -hmm. And so that is where I would choose to invest. But yeah, there's some other markets like New York where it's basically banned. Uh, San Francisco too, which is where Airbnb came from, ironically. Where it's basically banned. So, and yeah, why it's basically banned unless you're in like a hotel zone exactly. condo here. But that makes the opportunity massive. Exactly. For those spots. I was yeah. just going to say that if you can get into an HOA community, yeah. for example, that doesn't allow it, but you can somehow get grandfathered in, that is yeah. a valuable property, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not only for your cash flow while you own it, but when you sell it, because you can sell it, this is Airbnb approved or short term rental approved. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you can get a license in a market where it's restricted, that's actually maybe even a better place yeah. to invest. I agree. So, yeah, my Airbnb is just print money yeah and because like, there's you're there's so few available so few available yeah, yeah. right like three four hundred dollars a night five hundred dollars yeah. a night for yeah. like a little condo yeah and i yeah and the condos i bought they're they're, they're called lock-offs so there's like yeah. two sides of them right right mm-hmm. and so i can rent them each separately so yeah, yeah. one usually goes about 300 one go about 400 okay like, 700 a night yeah. like that's insane and yeah. I rented 28 nights a month yeah. like it's it's always booked because they just they don't have many here. Yeah, and right. So mm-hmm. it it's super. Yeah, whenever people are like, "Oh, yeah, you can't do Airbnb in my area," I'm like, "Well, yeah, you can. It's yeah. hard. Pick your hard." Like, like Denver. Denver's mm-hmm. very strict on short term oh, yeah. rentals. Yeah. But if you're just outside of that boundary, you yep. can do well because yeah. there's because you're close enough to downtown, but yep. you can. So I know people though in Denver that that got destroyed by yep. that because they made a rule basically overnight where it was like it has to be your personal residence right. and you can't do it for more than fifteen nights right. a month. Right. And so I had I had a buddy actually who had like thirty of them and then overnight his business completely yeah. went away. Yeah. 
fortunately for him, he bought them all right and Cheap, Denver yeah. appreciated over time. So he just sold them all, and made a ton of money. Yeah. But but that that could happen. Yeah. That's that is the danger with newer, a lot of new. It's like, like you mentioned Bitcoin earlier, yeah, crypto. Yeah. It's like yeah. that's the fear. It's been Airbnb's been around for five years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, I, yeah, I I I like having backup plans. Like yeah. I could rent out my condos. A traditional like normal rental yeah. and I could pay the mortgage. All Correct. of my properties, I could flip them to traditional rentals yep. and at least break even. Yep. Yeah. That's so what I would always that's always how it. I underwrite. And yep, that's same. I would always advise that. Yeah. So when you switch your portfolio over to short-term rentals, mm-hmm. did you just get lucky and buy in the right areas where that that worked? No. Or did they you... were not ideal? Oh, they were not <laughs> ideal. Okay. I mean, they were rentals, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a fourplexes and 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 they're just like two bedroom, two bath, you know, fourplex mm-hmm. basic, not really not super yeah. nice units. Mm-hmm. Um, we did everything we could to clean them up and make them nice, but and back in 2016, the the luxury expectation was pretty low, yeah. So it, it wasn't a problem. And since then, I've upgraded to to better properties. Okay. But um, no, they were not ideal really? for it. But it was just such a I what I at least in the beginning, what I would always say is that short term rentals was double the revenue and triple the profit, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Over over traditional rentals, yeah. And and I, even just on a you know in a normal neighborhood, yeah, yeah. I think that's a misconception is that all Airbnbs are like they have right. to be in a luxury area overlooking nope. the ocean nope. in Hawaii. It's nope. like, People travel for lots of reasons yeah, yeah. and they need a place to stay. We have an Airbnb in St. Louis that's just in a random neighborhood. It's probably a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house. Mm-hmm. It's there's nothing special. It's not in a great location, mm-hmm. but people still have to travel there yep. for work. Yep graduations, funerals. We see a lot of people traveling for funerals for, you know, their kids because it's St. Louis, it is in the middle of the United States. And so there's a lot of like sports stuff there, Right. but it it is, there's nothing special about it. It is not in a cool area. You can't walk to bars, you can't walk to restaurants and it still does really well. Um, and so I think- Well, your costs are lower than if you're in those prime areas, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think if you want to succeed in that area, like of Airbnb, you have to like learn the rules. Yeah learn how to break the rules legally. Yeah, right. Uh, and, then, and then, yeah, learn what, like figure out what everyone else is not doing, like right. you just mentioned there. Right. And if you can do those things, yeah, they require some upfront work. It's yeah. the people that are just like, oh, I'm going to buy an Airbnb. And so they take some course maybe for, for yeah, an yeah. hour and they're like, oh, I'm going to go buy that one over there. Like, yeah, you, you're not putting in the work to yeah, learn how to do right, it right. right. Now, maybe over time you'll be fine. But yeah, Airbnb can be phenomenal Yeah, if you work it right. Yeah, and but it can be bad too. It can be brutal <laughs> yeah. if you're not doing yeah. it right. Yeah. yeah. And again, with the having a backup plan like yeah. you have is great. Right. How about financing? Like how have you found financing on those? Are you just own them cash or have you just got normal mortgages? So, I tip, so I'm, I'm kind of doing a burster. Okay. There's a new term yeah. I've, I've burster, heard over on burster, the bigger pockets, like folks. It. So yep. burr with a short-term, short-term rental, rental on the back yep. end. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing since I've come back from the field, mm-hmm. uh, which funny thing I wanna, t- wanted to tell you. Yeah. So when I came back from the mission field, I had, I don't know, several million dollars worth of real estate and I'd been investing since I was 19 years old. And I really felt like I knew nothing about real estate investing. Little, I knew yeah. relatively little. And so when I came back and I had nothing to do, I went to Google and I was like, real estate education, plunk, and bigger pockets popped up. Yes. Popped up. I don't know if it was first, but it was on the first <laughs> exactly. page. You ever heard the phrase, you want to you know, hide a dead body, put it on the second page of Google? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> you were on the first page, I, I found you, and, and literally for a couple of months, two or three months, I just listened to another episode or That's two awesome. yeah. and, I, and I started in the middle and I heard Burr and ARV and I didn't know what the, all this alphabet. I yeah. didn't know this stuff. So I went back to the beginning and I didn't, not the very beginning, but I've listened to most of those episodes. That's and awesome. And yeah. you had a big Thank impact you. on me as I came back decompressed thank out you. of the yeah. mission field. So thank you, sir. Thank I you. Love, thank I love you. hearing that. So with the Burr tell me about like, so financing on that. Yeah. Will they only refinance it like at a long-term rental rate or will they take uh, the short-term rental rate 
and say, hey, you say you're going to get, you know, 3,500 bucks a month. And so we can use that when we're giving you financing. Well, I have the benefit of being able to say, I have 35 of these and this is whatever you want to look at. Here you go. This is my cash flow. My, my debt to equity is very low across the whole portfolio. And some bankers, they, they still don't care, right? That, you know, these bean counters are just like, nope, that doesn't check (laughs) the box. Right. But I've found a few lenders that, that will accept a property. Some of them like to have at least a couple of months as a short-term rental Mm -hmm. so that they can show, okay, yes, it's generating rent and this is Mm -hmm. what it's going to do. It's not easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Short term rental financing isn't as easy as traditional rental financing, even though it's double the revenue and triple the profit. Yep. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's a challenge. But yeah, I just keep looking for lenders until I find one that that's willing to go Works along with it. Well, you illustrate a really good point here in that I think most new newbie real estate investors look at financing and they assume that like all banks are the same banks, right. all lenders right. are the same lenders. And so like they go to Chase Bank or Bank of America right. and it's like, no, so it's like, all right, I guess I can't do that. Right. right. Work. But there's so many different types of lenders out there and there's yeah. small local community banks. And yeah, whatever. Credit unions. yeah. One of our, one of our friends, actually somebody lives here on Maui recently, their lender dropped, like said, Hey, we don't want to do any more loans with you. We've already done like 20 or 30 yeah, yeah. with you. We're done right now. We're going to wait for a few, you know, yeah. whatever market's changing. And so this friend of ours just got on a plane, flew back to their, their city, spent a week there just talking to bankers, yeah. came back mm-hmm. with three new lenders. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. like, yeah. It just, just get it done. Yeah. Get it done. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just I, I think she went and interviewed twenty different ones, but found three, yeah. came back home, yeah. and now she's buying real estate again. Most so. of my loans are through credit unions. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like they're focused on the community where you're developing and they're more mm-hmm. willing to yeah. do creative stuff sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, man. All right. Well, we've got to start wrapping things up pretty soon. But right. last question I got for you before we move to the final several segments. Wealth and religion. Yeah. Or wealth and spirituality. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're still a follower of Jesus. Yes. You're still a Christian dude. There's a lot of I don't want to say misconception, but a lot of yeah. drama around right. yep. should Christians build wealth? Um, you guys, guys like Randy Alcorn, who will say like, you should only live on a very small income mm-hmm. and 100% of everything else you have, you should give away. Right. And then you have, you know, Dave Ramsey, who's got a, you know, probably a billion dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you fall on that? What does that mean to be a Christian who has wealth? How do we look at yeah. that? Yeah. So in, in the book, I, I dedicate the last section to that and I, I titled it the morality of wealth. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I conduct my life and I, you know, I'd love to hear what you think about this question too, because I'm sure you've grappled with it. And, and whatever I say here, I need to give the preface that I wrestle with this, right? I, this is, this is something I think about often and I, and I always want to check myself and I want to make sure that I'm in the right frame of mind and the right, doing the right things for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. So I see that there are three concepts that I have pulled out of my worldview, my Judeo-Christian worldview that really drive this discussion for me. Number one, we as human beings are supposed to maximize what we are given. Yep. Full stop. We're not supposed to sit on the couch and eat ice cream and watch Netflix all the time. It's okay to do that to unwind and relax after you've spent a day maximizing. Yep. We are wired to maximize and that maximize our relationships, maximize our time, maximize our wealth. And my basis for that is Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, yeah. um, where where Jesus is telling a story about a master who has a lot of money and a talent for for reference, a talent. I think I did the research on this. I think it was twenty years of salary of a common worker oh. of the time. So if you put that in today's days, today's numbers, it's like a million bucks, yeah. right? So so a talent was a million bucks, and Jesus said that this wealthy guy gave one guy five million bucks, the other guy two million bucks, and the third guy a million bucks, and he said, "Go out and grow this." Mm-hmm. And he didn't give them, 
it's not talents in the sense of, look, I can spin plates on my fingers. It's <laughs> yeah. not that can kind you? of a talent. I can't. Okay, can you? No. <laughs> the talent is gold, yeah. right? There's another version of the Bible that says it's the parable of the bags of gold, mm. right? So we're talking about money here. We can't be... We can't be getting all religious and saying, no, he's talking about, yeah. our, you know, whatever. Yeah, your skill sets. He's, yeah, yeah, he's talking yeah. about money. So so he's telling these people, go out and invest this money. So the one guy with $5 million does, he turns it into 10 mm -hmm. The guy with $2 million does, he turns it into 4 which is no small feat, by yeah. the way, yeah. right? And the guy that has one goes and buries, a, buries it in the yard, right? Covers it up. When the master comes back, he says, okay, give me an account of what you've done. The one guy gives him the $10 million, and he says... Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. Yeah. Most theologians would agree that that's heaven. Yeah. Come on in. Yeah. You're 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 welcomed in. And that blows my mind as someone who understands who Jesus is and I think I know what he's talking about and this this just kind of goes against a lot of the concepts that I had about money. The guy that had four, same thing, enter into the joy of the, of the Lord. And then the last guy who hid it in the yard, didn't steal it, didn't lose it. Mm -hmm. Gave it back. Here's the full million bucks, wipes the dirt off of it. Here, here's the full million bucks that you gave me. He says, get out of here, you wicked and lazy servant, mm -hmm. where there's gnashing, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Theologians think that's hell. Yeah. So Jesus is telling a story. Invest what you've got. Yeah. And even if you lose it, that's okay. Just make the effort. Invest what you've got. Maximize what I am giving you because I'm the master in this story. I've given you everything that you have, and your job is to maximize it. Yeah. Okay? And he's talking about money. Yeah. Now, counter to that, or the counterbalance to that concept of the morality of wealth is you have to put the people in your lives and God yeah. above your money. Yeah. That's that, that living in that friction, right? Maximize, but don't maximize it at the damage of your relationships, mm -hmm. whether that's with God or with people. Okay? So those two things have to be in constant conflict and constant friction in order for you to be following that balance. And then I say that the third concept, the third Christian concept that I use to guide my wealth building journey is God also wants us to be extremely generous. Mm -hmm. And that ties those two concepts together. Maximize what you can earn, love people more than you love your money, and then prove that by giving it away to help other people mm -hmm. live a better life than what they could without your support. Yeah. Those are great. the three things. I love that. That's what I, that's what I, that's what guides my journey. That's great, man. One of my mentors, cause I, I come from a background with not a lot of wealth whatsoever. Yeah, right. And so started making a lot of money and I, I actually, you know, coming from a, a Christian background as well, felt bad about it. Right. And so one of my mentors, I was talking with him through, where he's like, I want to continue just to grow and, and to, to maximize. And he said something that I remind myself all the time. He just, he just looked at me and he's like, healthy things grow, Cameron. Yeah. Healthy yeah. things yeah, grow. Yeah, yeah, I kept yeah. saying that. Yeah. So I, I tell myself that so all the time good. where it's like, healthy things grow. Yeah. Like, and so like if Brandon was sitting there and he wasn't growing, I, I, there would probably be some unhealth in his life yeah. you know, to be completely honest with you, yeah, yeah. you know? And so, um, that's something I always fall back on is like, right. it, it's not wrong. It's I'm yeah. healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime somebody talks to me about wealth and, and Christianity and, and tries to imply that it's bad, I always remind them that they have an iPhone. Yeah. And so they're already yeah. wealthier than the <laughs> wealthiest person in Jesus' time. Right, they're, right, They're right, wealthier right. than the king and yeah. the governors and all that, that and the Pharisees. They are richer. They are richer and better off in life. Yeah than every person in Jesus' right. day, more luxury. Right. So once we like remove like, like the, the self-righteousness from the, the yeah. thing, like, oh, I'm, I'm, you're rich and therefore I'm not, so I'm better than you. Once we yeah, remove yeah, that yeah, from yeah. the equation and you realize we, Jesus is talking to 
all of us. Yeah. Every warning against wealthy people is everybody in the Western world, right. pretty much, right? right? right. So, okay, so I, I look at that. Then I say the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Like, I do not believe it does. Some might say mm-hmm. that you could argue different things that are contradictions. Sure. I could argue against them every time and sure. say they're not, right? If the Bible encourages wealth building, which it does mm-hmm. many times throughout it, mm-hmm. but it also warns against wealth yeah. many times. Right. Therefore, it would not contradict itself, which means that wealth, it would not be encouraging sin. It would mm-hmm. not be encouraging right. something that's wrong. It would be like, hey, you should probably sleep around with a lot of different people yeah. in your life, <laughs> but also you shouldn't commit adultery. It doesn't yeah, do that, yeah, right? Yeah, it's, right? It's right. very aligned. So if it, how do we align then? Here's how to build wealth and here's principles for building wealth. You yeah. see, especially in like books like Proverbs and then, and, and Jesus's parable with like, you know, you can't serve God in money. Right. How do you reconcile them? There has to be an alignment there. Mm-hmm. The way I look at that, then I justify it. I mean, justified maybe the wrong word, but I combine them into wealth is dangerous right. and uh, powerful. And right. With great power comes great responsibility. So right. throw Uncle Ben and Spider-Man into the Bible and you got great power, great yeah, responsibility, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, it's basically, you know, the Bible part yeah, two. Basically. Yeah, Spider-Man. Yeah. So w- yeah, w- that's how I look at wealth is it's not inherently bad. It is dangerous in the wrong hands. Yes. It does reveal who you are more. And right. there is you need to have brothers and sisters around you yeah. to keep you in check. Yeah. And I love the phrase that you said, I just wrote it down. It is like the wrestle. Like, yeah. I think, I think that more Christians need to be honest yeah. with the fact that we wrestle with a lot of things oh, yeah, for all sure. the time. Yeah. Cause we don't have all the answers and right. the Bible's not super crystal clear, right. even though every pastor would like to say that it is yeah. like, right. like <laughs> our church teaches the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> church down the road teaches yeah, it. They, they, teach they, the they, they teach the, the exactly. wrong Bible. Right. Right. Exactly. Like the, the wrong ro- verse. Yeah. The wrong. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're up in, applying them the wrong way. I'm like, right. Oh, all right. Every, right. it's like every contractor thinks every other contractor sucks. Yes, <laughs> every pastor says church sucks. Why do they do it that way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No matter what. I've learned that. Yeah, never take it. Never listen to a contractor about somebody else's other contractor's work. <laughs> yeah. It's always bad. It's, yeah, it's and true. Every other it's church true. is always bad. Yeah. So. All right, man. Love it. Well, we got to start moving towards the end. So yeah. the next segment we call the three, two, one pivot. Okay. The idea of a pivot. You mentioned it earlier. Actually, yep. your life's going one direction. Boom. Something changes. It goes another direction. So three. We'll start with this one. Three pivot books. Books that change the direction of your life. So it's kind of an older book, but The 21 Immutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. Mm, I think it came out in the 90s, probably. And to be honest, you know, today everything is the one thing. Yep. Not the 21 things, right? Or the three things max, three things, right? Don't go more than, yeah, don't go more than 21. I don't remember any of the 21. I mean, (laughs) maybe if I sat and thought about it, but there was a concept in that book that really changed the way I was a leader. So it was 21 Immutable Laws of Leadership. And I was running my nonprofit at the time when I read it. And John Maxwell was a pastor. Yep. And so he said, if you want to see a true great leader, go find someone who's leading volunteers. Yeah. Because he's not paying them a salary. I've heard that too. It's so good. Yes. And it's so true too. The best leaders are usually church pastors or or missionaries. Right. Because they have to, otherwise people are going to scatter like cats, right? They have to inspire. Yeah, exactly. And so I just really latched onto that. And that's what drove my work in in Mm. volunteer work. And of course, Mm. it's affected me today. So I'm not going to say I am the greatest leader, but I try to, I try to grow and I try to assume like, I obviously I pay my staff, but what would I need to be saying and doing that they would stick around as if they were the volunteers that I had Mm -hmm. when we were planting churches. Right. And so I try to use that to guide my, uh, my leadership style. So there's that one. The second one I would say is, you know, I mean, everybody says rich dad, poor dad. Right. mm -hmm. And that did impact me, but I, I'm not going to say that that's one of my books because I think when I read that, I had the right mindset to where that was going to connect with me. Because mm-hmm. I've given that book to other people and they yeah. read it like, meh, 
It's yeah, not for yeah. me, right? Is, do you have that book here? Yeah, it's right. in there. Yeah, yeah, somewhere right. in there. And so I think it's important for people to be in the right mind space yep. when they read any book in order mm -hmm. to to get to get there. I would say that the the second book, and I know this is a little bit cliche, and, I, and I'm not one of those. Believe me, I'm not one of those guys to say God told me, and the mm -hmm. Bible says this. I'm not one of those guys. But that Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, really has shaped at least my investing career has mm -hmm. really shaped me, and I, we already talked about about why that was impactful for me. And I would say the third book, and this is kind of going unconventional too, I wanted to give answers not most people yeah, get, yeah. all right, is my book, not because I think it's earth shattering and everybody's got to read it, but because of what it did for me. Mm -hmm. So when I, I'm, I'm unemployed, right? I'm in this whole weird, weird space, like where I used to be like this public figure and now I'm just in my house following my wife around, right? <laughs> and so this forced me to really take a look at how did we get from where we were to where we are today? What was the process? And what can I do to maximize what I have to help other yeah. people? Because yeah. that's who I am, right? I'm, I'm all about the mission. I'm all about helping people. And so this really impacted me mm -hmm. uh, going in that direction. I love that. So two people in your life, two pivot yeah. people where you've met them and you've made a 180. There are so many. And there's like, because I have the mission career and I have the real estate investing in the beginning and now where I'm at now. I would say in the in the real estate world, there was a guy named Bob Tippett who was the father of one of my best friend's wife. And he was 30 years older than me and I was a young know-it-all 22-year-old that I've got eight units or yeah. whatever it was, six units yeah. or whatever at the time. And he just taught me just like playing golf or whatever, just taught me some lessons. And I just really appreciate it. And the lesson that it stuck with me is he said, keep your portfolio at 50% debt to value. Mm -hmm. And that way you can weather pretty much any storm from a cash flow standpoint, from a valuation standpoint. And I've by and large held steady to that. And that's that's been very val valuable for me. The other guy is George Fermanian. You ever heard of him? Mm -mm. So George, I don't know, he made a hundred million bucks or something developing apartment complexes in San Diego. And uh, he just kind of took me under his wing as well. And I remember one time I called him up and I said, would you mentor me? And he goes, yeah, of course. At which I was blown away that he would be willing <laughs> to do that, right? And and I said, well, here's here's my portfolio. And he said, way too much equity. Mm, so it was the opposite of the other guy, right? Like, and he goes, you got you to gotta sell all this stuff. You got to sell this too slow. And like I had mm, some 15-year mortgages and yeah, all this mm. super conservative stuff. And so I still held true to Bob's advice, but I also got a little more aggressive with what... George was telling me. So I would say those two yeah. guys. Isn't that funny how you just get like, you ask yeah, oh. people different advice. Opposite advice. Yeah. 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 And they're both, they're the, yeah. both right. Yep. Right. Yeah. They're both good. They're both incredibly successful oh. too. Yeah. yeah. Right. Way beyond where I'm at. So. Yeah. Awesome. All right. What about a quote? Pivot quote. So I, so Ronald Reagan had on his desk a little plaque that said, it can be done. Now I'm sure there's probably some book somewhere that explains why he had that on his desk, but I'd just like to imagine why, right? Just imagine, is there anything slower and more ingrained and more bureaucratic than the U.S. government, right? Mm -hmm. So I can just imagine somebody like him who's wanting to make things happen, who's trying to defeat the Russians and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, all this stuff. People coming in one after another. Nope, that's not the way it's done. It can't be done. Mm -hmm. This can't be done. And, and I've even in the last month, I've had people tell me to my face, there is no way somebody making minimum wage can become a millionaire. Mm -hmm. It just can't be done. I'm like, mm. I did it. 
Yeah, you know, yeah. it can be done. And my mission is to help people kind of realize that the unexpected investor, right? You can do it. Let's do it. Let's get it. Let's do it together. Yeah. The next book you write should be called The Minimum Wage Millionaire. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that's a good title. <laughs> that's yeah. a good title the Minimum right there. Wage Millionaire. Minimum Wage Millionaire. Do I have to send you a royalty? Yeah, I do, yeah. 12%, 12 every month. Thank you. Uh, we're right. moving to our next segment, yeah. and it is the past, present, future. So we're going to look at okay. past you, present you, future you. Okay. And the first thing that I want to ask is, if you could go back to 20-year-old mm -hmm. you yeah. and give him advice, what would that advice be? Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is to look at your paycheck and you tell your paycheck what to do, mm -hmm. not your paycheck not your paycheck telling you what to do, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Okay, half of you is to spend, 40 of you is mm -hmm. to invest, and 10% is to give away. That's what I would say. And the rest, you can figure it out. Love it. What have you done in the last 12 months that's given you a better life? Could be a habit, action, routine, product you bought. Well, I'm not only an investor in Open Door Capital. Thank you. I'm not only on your podcast, <laughs> but I am a member of the Better Life Better Life Tribe. Yeah, you are. Yeah. And your intention journal has probably been the single biggest impact on just my day-to-day -day disciplines of mm. anything I've ever tried. I'm a, I'm a goal setter. That's my nature. But I've never gotten so granular and so focused. I've lost 3% body fat since I've started doing that. Mm. I'm stronger. I'm faster. I have better cardiovascular strength. I am doing reps on the finance side as well. I'm trying to think bigger and grow my portfolio. The book and the brand and everything that I'm doing, a lot of it has to do with the disciplines that I learned from Mr. Printer. Mm. That's awesome. We're going to put that on the sales yes, page for that. Okay, good. Right <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Uh, Today's show is sponsored by the Intention <laughs> Journal. You can get it at biggerpockets.com slash store uh, maybe i don't know yeah i love it thank uh, you all you right can send the 12 percent. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pro 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 to you. Okay. all right man last question for you yeah actually we've got a couple more but so Almost spoiler spoiler alert yeah. you are going to die someday <laughs> oh wow oh. yes i know <laughs> we're going we're going there he almost um, died this morning yeah, yeah. Dude, oh, <laughs> wilder just figured that out a few months like a couple months ago Did people die? that people die oh. it was such a sad my wife and called me he was three he was just turning four okay and he heard about death and he's like Wait, we're we're gonna die? And like oh, it was such a wow, shocking yeah. moment, and right. I had to like walk him through. Like, yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Keep what? going. Wait, I lost my train of. <laughs> well, you're gonna die. Riley someday. prays every night that I die. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's so cute. She wants me to go to heaven and spend time with Jesus because we've told her how amazing that is, uh, and so she prays that I die. And I'm like, I, I don't, don't want to die. You might though. miss yeah, me. Yeah. Exactly. That's a really but, funny. All right, so you're gonna die. We're all gonna die. Yeah. And I think about my funeral a lot. Like, yeah, what yeah, are people yeah. going to say about yeah, me yeah. at my funeral? What do you want? people say about you? I want for people, I think that my biggest mark of success will be how, how my kids turn out. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. you know, I remember from the, from the 2016 presidential election. So you had probably the ugliest campaign in modern history, at least. Mm -hmm. And if they, wait till this year, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Each one is the worst, right? Yeah, ever. It's worth every time. So the moderator of the debate asks both Hillary and Donald Trump say something nice about the other candidate. Yeah. Which that yeah. hadn't, I mean, that fantastic question. I yeah. loved that question. And uh, Trump, I think, went first. And he said about Hillary, uh, she's tough. And that's a real compliment coming from Donald Trump because yeah, he yeah. wants to be Mr. Tough, yep. right? So he recognized her toughness. And she said, Donald Trump has really great children. Oh. And I was like, oh, wow. I think that's genuine. I think she really thinks that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that spoke pretty highly of him. And I want people, I want people to see my kids and see that they have 
done things right. Not everything mm-hmm. perfect, obviously, yeah. but I want I, I want for that to be my legacy. I want for my kids to thrive. I want for them to love their lives. I want for them to be effective in what they're doing and love what they're doing. So yeah. that would be my legacy. I yeah. love that. Yeah, one of my thoughts that I say all the time is the best thing I can do in my life is raise my kids. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah. Um, Which that's a relatively new concept, yeah. Yeah. surprisingly, right? Yeah. It's like, no, you got to climb the corporate ladder and you got to yeah. make all this money and all this kind of stuff. But no, yeah, we need to be parents. Yeah, I could fail at every single aspect of my life. But if my kids grow up loving Jesus, I won. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right, man. What are you excited about? So the book's coming out February 27th. And, um, you know, when I first started writing it, I wasn't even sure, am I going to publish this? Yeah. Or, you know, it was just kind of something for me to do. And it's really grown into a passion. In fact, I've, I'm building a business around mm-hmm. it. So I want to help people escape the paycheck to paycheck grind because it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there, <laughs> there's a surprisingly simple way, and this is something that Brandon was saying about about the book, is it's it's almost fun when you figure out how to gamify this whole process, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just want to walk alongside people and I want to help them do that. I want to make millionaires. I, yeah, I want to make easy. millionaires that have a good focus, right? That they're focused on other people in their lives and they're focused on giving away what mm-hmm. they've been blessed with. Yeah. So. That's what we're doing. So where can people find you, hear yeah. more about you, and order your book when it comes yeah. out? Yeah. Where? So this episode, I think, is coming out on February 26th. When you hear this, you can buy it because it'll be available on February 27th, and it'll show up at your door. So Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, mm-hmm. um, all those different places. Um, you can find out about what we're doing at theunexpectedinvestor.com or on social media at Unexpected Investor. Very cool. Thank Dude, you. this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Thanks to, for the invitation. Yeah. For, I'm excited for people to read this. So. Yeah. Thank You're you awesome. very much. Appreciate it. Hey. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback. I look at the feedback and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, Check out abetterlife.com slash best life. Abetterlife.com slash best life. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.